But I won't wait Rest in my bones I'll take these foolishness roads Of grace And run toward the dark And when I rise Dawn turns to day I'll shine As bright as the sun And these roads that I've run Will be wise Darkness to Light Hosted by Alan and M. Middleton we aim to explore what takes place at the corner of theology and geekology. Episode 43, Chit Chat and Feedback. Welcome to episode 43 of Darkness to Light. This is our show where we take a look at pop culture in terms of where those stories intersect with concepts in religion, faith, theology, or spirituality. And for this one, we're going to chat a bit about what we've been doing recently and also go over a whole lot of listener feedback we've accumulated over the last six months or so because it has been a crazy year. I honestly feel pretty bad about the fact that we haven't gotten together and recorded like an actual thematic mm. scripted episode in eight months, eight months, eight, eight or nine months, probably. Um, but also everything has been really terrible. And so the amount of mental energy that mm-hmm. I think both of us, me specifically, have had for research has been unfortunately yeah unfortunately pretty low i had so many plans i had so many plans for all the artistic stuff i I was going to do side projects i was going to work on and you've done some stuff around the house you did some stuff outside the house so it's true but the the creative juice has i get to largely dried up i think that's true for most people but hopefully this will be the last of our sort of catch-up episodes and then maybe Real we can stuff. go on Real stuff. to something with an we have topics we do we have topics we, we have sincerely thoughts do. <laughs> you know in in real life i think about the last time we did something big together you and i you know in the before times the long was, long ago it was just about a year ago this time and it involved a coffee shop an episcopal priest and some ashes like we've said before, we're now coming up on our one-year anniversary of Lent, of being in Lent. Still Lent. So please, let's have Easter soon. I'm just longing for what the church calendar calls ordinary time. Wouldn't it be nice to have some ordinary time once again? I miss ordinary time. <laughs> We've all been living in such interesting times. I'm ready for that to be done. It was uh, so basically 12 months of Lent with a month of Advent breaking it up. 
pretty much. It's pretty much the last 12 months. That is really whack. You mentioned that Ash Wednesday is like four days from now. And I'm just, I'm really super not, I refuse. I refuse to acknowledge that. Uh, we might be trudging through the snow if you want to do something uh, in real space about that. Oof. Well, one of the things that I spend some time passing my time with, I think I may have mentioned this on a prior episode, but I knocked out the so far only season, first season of the Netflix Warrior Nun live action show based on the anime Warrior Nun Ariella. Uh, European production, beautiful locations. Of course, there is a Vatican conspiracy afoot because there always is. Exactly. But they do manage to give us some sincere priests and some sincere believers as well. So that's that's all a good uh, all a good sign. And this did get the uh, podcasting priest Father Roderick seal of approval. That's a good so sign. That counts. And I would equate uh, I would equate Warrior Nun sort of to Winona Earp, which is you don't come for the theology or for the Sunday school lesson. Just come for the old-fashioned demon slaying. But easily two or three tiers above supernatural. Oh, yes. That's all yes. that matters. It's all that matters. Warrior Nun at least does attempt some level of consistency slash coherence, at least in the first season. Who knows where you go after that? Not everything has to be high art, but the closer that you're... Mm -hmm slightly nonsensical and absurdist like <laughs> fantasy demon shows can be to Constantine as opposed to supernatural. That's sort of there you go. There you that's go. That's sort of your spectrum. It can still be trash. It just has to be good trash. So yes to one blonde in a khaki jacket, but no to the other blonde in the khaki jacket, is it? Yes. Exactly. Yes to John. No to Cass. Got it. Okay. That's the scale. Everything <laughs> falls between. Hashtag trench coat brigade. Exactly. So, uh, so Em, what have you been doing here at the start of 2021? Like every day from what I can tell. You are correct. Every single day. So I brought this up before in a previous episode when we were talking about video games and religious content stuff that I definitely want to talk about in further detail. But the thing that has been getting me through the day for about two months now mm -hmm. has been Dragon Age. So the first game that I played out of that was Dragon Age Inquisition, which as you can tell from the title, definitely has True. a ton of religious and spiritual and uh, like metaphysical content because it's one, a fantasy game, but it, also is very much a medieval inspired sort of political story. And there's a lot of lore and world building that's built into the game and the setting and uh, the way that you can create a character who relates to that stuff. I'm definitely going to talk a lot about Inquisition at some point because <laughs> I have so many thoughts about it. That will probably be an actual episode, hopefully one of the ones that we'll be getting to pretty shortly 
But what I've been doing more recently is playing the first Dragon Age game, which is Dragon Age Origins. Uh, and I was even more blown away by that. My roommate had been trying to get me into it for literal years. I just didn't click with it. She, uh, but knew. This, she, she knew. She knew. She absolutely knew. This time around, the way it's set up is that based on the type of character that you play, your experience with the opening sections of the game will be completely different because mm. they're all from different right. classes, races, physical regions in the country, and the types of stuff that you're going to be doing is going to be really, really radically different. Then does it eventually converge all at, at some point? Yeah, there, there are a couple start. of points of convergence yeah. where it's like, oh, well, by a certain point, you sort of enter the main meat of the story, right. and that progresses somewhat linearly, but even then you still have different choices sure. and various sure. places to go before it all comes around again to the, the end. But it does branch off at the beginning and then sort of in the middle. And I was enjoying it. I was having a good time, um, but I wasn't clicking with it super, super hardcore, not the way that my roommate was. And so I sat on it for a couple of months and was like, eh, I'll get back to that whenever and I'll finish it off. But in 2021, I was like, you know what? It's time. I'm going to go back. Yeah. I'm going to do it again. But this time I'm actually going to make a different character. And this time around, I, I laughed to myself because I was like, well, now I'm going to do like the boring standard version. I'm going to do the human noble. As a result, it meant I had way more stake in all of the political nonsense that was going on. And I <laughs> blasted through that game. I was having a great time. I'm actually now going through and playing it a second time with this same origin and setup because I was just, I was so in love now that I, I finished the whole, the whole thing. And it just gave me a way deeper appreciation for how much lore and world building the Dragon Age writers put into the world of Thedas. From um, a distance without the context, that is my understanding of, of the Dragon Age world. Yeah. And it's it's funny because of course a lot of this stuff I had picked up secondhand either from Inquisition where it'll just have little throwouts and throwbacks and mention characters in passing. But I was like, I don't know who any of these people are. Of course, then going back and playing the first one, then getting to meet all of them, have conversations with them, talk about their goals and opinions and stuff, then just makes everything later on make way, way more sense. So I've been having a really great time and getting very, very, very deep into the lore and the, the wiki and the extended universe and right. all that stuff. So that my roommate finally, finally, finally has someone who is as into this as she is so that we can scream about some of the political nonsense that goes on and talk a lot about how really super messed up the in-universe Catholic church equivalent is. Mm. One of the things that I had sort of jokingly said after playing Dragon Age Inquisition, whenever you're doing a sort of like medieval fantasy sure. sort of thing, there are certain tropes that you can fall into really, really easily. And one of them is just sort of some gross anti-Semitic mm, stuff mm -hmm. that can occasionally worm its way intentionally or unintentionally into the kinds of tropes that you have, especially now that I've been playing Dragon Age Origins, the two major villains are super, super Jewish coded and mm, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty uncomfortable. 
But one of the things that I appreciated was the way that they conceived of elves in this fantasy universe is very much built on Jewish people during the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. And when I played Inquisition, I was like, well, that's actually a pretty interesting sort of choice. But honestly, I wish they were more Jewish. And then this would maybe be a little less uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Now playing Dragon Age Origins, I was like, oh, they did. All the way down to certain things that my roommate would occasionally mention to be like, that's really messed up. And I would be like, you know, that is a thing that happened to Jewish people in medieval cities. Mm-hmm. Google Jewish quarter. Mm-hmm. All that stuff really did happen. And with Dragon Age Inquisition, they went a lot softer mm-hmm. on the Chantry as a really really oppressive, pretty horrendous social institution. Um, And in Origins, I really did appreciate how much they had built in of like, yeah, here are some of the really horrific abuses of power that are going down when you have a state-sanctioned religion, which even more so than the real world Catholic Church, um, thinking about things like the Swiss Guard, the Chantry has a standing army. Mm, and it's like right. ooh, once yeah. you once you put that much not just social power but right. military power into a single organization that has a pretty complete claim on religious practice across borders across nations across continents you get some really yeah. dangerous stuff yeah there, there's a reason why conceptually separation of powers tends to be a pretty good choice for things. Oh, yeah. Interesting. That has been consuming basically all of my waking hours for about two months. So how did that passion get turned into music and some interesting conversations with your roommate and discoveries? Well, see, that's funny because, of course... This is just a me personally thing, but it's pretty common with a lot of fandom stuff is it's like, well, the more you're thinking about stuff and the more that it's just taking up mental space in your brain, the more you tend to see it places. Right. Uh, And so I would be listening to music with my roommate and be like, oh, this reminds me of your character. This reminds me of my character. This reminds me of this non-player character or the, the more that we were listening to all of them, the more I was like, all of these are by the Oh Hellos. <laughs> and the ones that weren't by the Oh Hellos were by the Grey Haven. Those are like two really good bands that she's been listening to forever uh, mm-hmm. and that I liked. But of course, then it's like, well, now I have this connection. So I'm going to listen to it even more. And you mentioned that to me. And something tickled in the back of my mind. Way back on our audio feed episode. We talked about at that Christian music festival, the tendency of bands to have names or songs in the Lewis realm or the Tolkien realm. And I thought Grey Havens, that fits that. I just, I thought probably did a little research and yes, the Grey Havens did in fact play at a recent audio feed festival. And uh, you dropped that knowledge on your roommate, much to their shock and awe. The other thing that has come out of this is that because 
so much of the stuff we are consuming right now mm-hmm. is Dragon Age or Dragon Age adjacent. The comic books, the novels, mm-hmm. music in this case that right. is sort of based on or reminds us of this content. It means that in our household, the oath, oh, Jesus Christ, has been almost entirely replaced with maker's breath. <laughs> Just because that is the go-to swear in all of the games. And we have both been playing so much of it, it has seeped into our real-world vocabulary. <laughs> this is funny because she, being pagan, has been trying to get rid of Christian swears. Mm-hmm. And then me, a Christian, <laughs> am also slowly also trying losing to get... my Christian swears, but to fantasy Christian swears. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That reminds me of the vampire novels that I've mentioned at some point on here before, the president's vampire and that series. And I did not- It all comes back to vampires. It all comes back to vampires. I did not remember this from the first two novels that I read, but I recently read the third one called Red, White, and Blood, which if you think about is actually a bit redundant. But in that one, the uh, the vampire character still considers himself you know, a member of the church. And anyone who takes the Lord's name in vain, he will softly correct. Softly correct the first time. After that, less softly. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. Additional sidebar. Speaking of vampires. How's that vampire accountant book treating you? That was fun. Fred the Vampire Accountant. Mm-hmm. The, the... Un, uninteresting and unadventurous life of Fred the Vampire Accountant by Drew Hayes. Yep. Who is, in my opinion, the greatest fantasy writer currently living. Oh, my land. Like, that's not even an exaggeration. I, I legitimately think that Drew Hayes is both a comedic and mm-hmm. honest fantasy author genius like he's absolutely brilliant nice well i enjoyed that first novel and we'll continue on with that series the nice thing is those books tended to be seven eight nine hours on hoopla as opposed to the other drew hayes works which tended to be in the 25 to 40 hour range because epic fantasy yeah (laughs) npcs is one of the best fantasy novels ever written what, and I'm I'm not going to redact that. NPCs, uh, yes, non-player characters <laughs> by by Drew Hayes. Speaking of the final, I I told Kara that I was not going to scream about Paladins this whole episode, but I am going to talk about Paladins a little bit. His fourth book in that series is all about Paladins. I'm putting a pin in it here, and mm-hmm. we're going to come back to this at some point. But I mentioned it with Paladin of Souls. And the Curse of Chalion, which we recommended like right. a year and a half ago. Yep. But there is going to be an episode that's just me and my and my paladin feels. I even got them a little bit in Dragon Age. It made me very happy. I'm I'm just I'm putting that out there. Paladins. Drew Hayes had the greatest summary of paladins, mm. which was one of the characters who desperately wants to be a paladin, talking to an actual paladin, and saying, um, "Paladins are forces of goodness." Uh, and the other character responds and says, no, we are forces of godness. That is a very different thing. Wow. And I was like, oh, that, that's it. That's it right there. If anyone who is listening to this 
has played Dragon Age Origins and wants to talk to me about it, please hit me up on Facebook <laughs> because it's literally just me and my roommate and our six mutuals on Tumblr all screaming at each other constantly. And that's good. But I'm like, I need I need some new people. So I'm not just info dumping back at mm. other people the same information that they taught me. <laughs> like I need I need a wider I need a wider group of people that I can talk to about this. <laughs> One of those people that Em occasionally talks to about that, I hardly endorse that commentary. <laughs> I am sorry that I info dumped on you for like four and a half hours while we were getting our hair cut. The first Dragon Age is all political intrigue, like Game of Thrones style politics and allegiances and battling the forces of evil and all that kind of stuff. Dragon Age Inquisition is a sprawling metatext on the power of faith as a political influence and the way that power collected through various means, some ideological and some military shape history. Both of those things are really interesting to me. The one in the middle is a rags to riches story about a former rich kid getting to become a rich kid again and being surrounded by a lot of really terrible mm -hmm. crime and corruption in his city that they are trying to stand against and correct, but ultimately failing at. And I'm like, I'm not super interested yeah, in that. Yeah, we don't need that one. Everyone says that Dragon Age 2 is the best one. And like, I... It just doesn't sound at them. I, I honestly get the feeling that it's going to be a, a kind of a slog. Well, thank you for sharing your passion. I'm here for y'all. <laughs> I had a couple of podcast recommendations to make. Oh, these, yeah. And these are on the theological edge. Uh, two of these. One is the forward, and that's spelled like the literary term. The From the faculty at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago, Short interviews, usually 30, 35 minutes or so every couple of weeks, mostly about faculty members' books and research projects. So it fits into that category that I like of smart people talking about theology. And, nice. and I like their catchphrase. They interview someone for you know 25 minutes about their book, and then they say, and that's just the foreword. It's, it's not uh. bad, it's kind of catchy. That's it's terrible. Like, like, if you like the conversation, you'll like the book. <laughs> so I like that one. And then the other one is The Sacramental Charismatic. It's hosted by a pastor theologian in the denomination that you, M, were raised in and that me and mom are still a part of. And that organization was originally founded to combine sort of the best practices of evangelical and charismatic traditions. And over the last decade or so, various churches or pastors or thinkers within the movement have been experimenting with other historical streams of church history and how those can, can integrate into the church. And this fella has spent a lot of time studying high church liturgical practices Catholic and the Episcopal, uh, especially around the sacraments. And so this podcast is sort of part of his growth and learning and experimentation uh, uh, process. Again, that's the Sacramental Charismatic, which 
are two words that don't often go together in the in 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 the Christian church. They're very close to being opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> Just about. They Just really about. are. So I appreciate the sort of the uh, where he's coming from and the fact that it helps me. He's sort of grounded in the same part of the church that I'm in. That sort of helps, you know, me sort of follow along with the experimentation and and uh, contemplation and and experimentation of, of of new theologies. Interesting takes. Those are the forward and the sacramental charismatic. So both of those can get a little in-depth sometimes. It's a little big wordy, if you know what I mean. But sometimes I need that. <laughs> you know, we pride ourselves on being not entirely pretentious, but that doesn't mean that the two of us don't enjoy things that are unapologetically pretentious Thank every you. now and then. Thank you. Sometimes you want some some pretentious, you know, high literary, high church theological rambling, and sometimes you want to read books about vampire accountants. Hello, that's okay. <laughs> Hopefully, what we're recording is about 50-50. See, there you go. There you go. Now, we did want to review also a few of our favorite tweets that we've seen the last few months from some of our favorite online people. Kat Armas was tweeting, I've been sad for the majority of 2020. And I've noticed that when I'm honest about this, Christians get uncomfortable and try to spiritualize my sadness, as if being sad at our current reality means I have less faith or I'm more distant from the divine, when if anything, it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. I've actually seen a lot of people some, somewhat recently, and I probably not disconnected from the pandemic who've mm -hmm. been doing a lot of internal soul searching and have been getting really honest about some instances of spiritual abuse and i've been like really sort of interested in in engaging with some of those people that i'm you know they vaguely aware of right. vaguely friendly with and talking about that whole process about like this has been a really terrible year but honestly, it has probably been one of the better tools or lenses mm -hmm. for people re-examining their own spiritual beliefs and either deepening mm -hmm. whatever their per personal personal practice is, or really or taking, taking some the time chance to re-examine to... with some distance mm -hmm. of of re-examining some of the the expectations. Mm -hmm. that have been placed on them by their churches or by specific pastors or individuals mm -hmm. for a long, mm -hmm. long time. We try to not get too uh, specific about going after any particular denominations, mm -hmm. but there were definitely some, some people who I had been talking with who, in the spirit of Good Saint Nate, mm -hmm. who had been talking about, if you have been taking time during the pandemic to reflect on signs of trauma or mm. uh, emotional responses to traumatic events and are starting to recognize some of those things in your church experiences, you should definitely bring those with you to therapy. There are some unfortunate, uh, let's say unfortunate, there's some, there is a high overlap 
in certain practices and denominations with a lot of the symptoms of uh, gaslighting. Mm-hmm. And if you yourself have started experiencing any of that stuff, the longer that you've been away from physical in-person church and individuals in your church community, if that has been the case for you, certainly, certainly take this time to do some, some self-reflection. Self-reflection is never, never the enemy. Good advice. Good advice, Em. And then one of my favorite new Twitter follows, sassy seminary student said, uh, I asked my professors if I could just send them a list of the notable theologians who followed me or liked my tweets this semester and count that as my final exam. He said, no, I still have to translate the rest of Mark. Unfair and upset. (laughs) Whack. Honestly, what is the point of doing this sort of thing if not for Twitter clout? I ask you. Thank you. Speaking of cool Christian musician, Nicole Nordeman tweeted, I am a natural cynic, so this won't come easy, but my resolution for the new year is to assume the best, period. Until proven otherwise, I am going to automatically assume every soul is doing, being, trying, believing the best they can. No side eye, grace upon grace. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. It's again, this year has been whack. Yeah. And whatever you're doing to get through it, mm-hmm. just just mm-hmm. get through it. Mm-hmm. That is admirable. I salute you, madam. And then one of our favorites, uh, subject of an episode, the harpist Tambor tweeted, you know, when you're on a diet, you make a mental list of all the things you'll eat when you're done. That's what's happening in my mind during this pandemic. But with people I want to hug. Still have not hugged mom. Last time I hugged her was in August. Yep. Yep. The sooner she gets her vaccine, the better. For all of us. <laughs> I just want a hug. I know. I just want a hug. Various people on, on Tumblr have been saying the worst part of the pandemic is that it's turning us all into Victorians again, where you make eye contact okay. with someone and you start Whoa. suddenly ah. imagining all of the things that you could do if you could just see them without their mask. Ah. Or, <laughs> We're losing it. We are absolutely losing it. Well, on that, let's take a brief musical interlude. And when we come back, you listeners take over for a feedback session. All that's left for me to climb to the heavens is the chasm of the night and the matter of time. But I hear the rumble as the tectonic plates start to shake and I feel my blood pounding like the beat of a drum it's like constellations a million years away every good tension every good tension is interpolation Because we have awesome listeners who regularly 
send us awesome feedback. It is time to go through the entire big old bag of emails, faxes, and notes. And back on episode 40, we discussed the graphic novel adaptation of the Old Testament story, The Book of Ruth, adapted by Meredith Finch and Colin Dyer. And via the magic of social media, we heard from Meredith Finch, who was tagged. Twitter. Who I mean, you that? don't, but yes. sometimes, sometimes you do. Sometimes, sometimes you it's do. worthwhile. Now, responding to the preview post, she said she was looking forward to listening and afterwards expressed relief. I was worried I might be in for a drubbing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be critical, but we're not mean. That's I right. promise. And, I and, promise we want to talk about things we love. And that was a good, good response because I did warn her that we may have taken the theology discussion a little bit off the intended track, but she was gracious about that and even said it was a great podcast and I enjoyed all of it, even or especially the digression. Yes. <laughs> so it's all about the tangents. Yes. Yeah, so told her that we were honored that she listened and she was honored that we allowed the Book of Ruth to be part of our podcast. So isn't social media so weird? Not going to lie, that interaction, that's a COVID summer highlight for me. Definitely. Commenting on that theological discussion, Bex from Redeemed Otaku asked you a question, which was systematic sin. Did you just coin a new term? Maybe. May have. Maybe I did. And artsy can be tweeted right after that episode went up. Hold up. Meredith Finch is a believer? That's so awesome. <laughs> and we heard from podcastings, Michael Bailey, M and Allen. Wow. There was a lot to unpack in the Book of Ruth episode, and I'm not going to be able to articulate all of my feelings on it so soon after listening. <laughs> but there is one thing I can get into because it's pretty clear, and it has to do with the Star Trek versus Babylon 5 discussion, which we talked about here and before. I realized something while listening to this episode. Star Trek, at its core, has some underpants notes. <laughs> if you or your listeners are not familiar with South Park, early on in the show, there is an episode about the underpants notes, where they have a plan. Step one, steal all underpants. Step three, profit. There is no step two. Star Trek follows this trajectory. Step one, humanity is in terrible shape. Step three, no racism or poverty or hunger and everyone gets to do what they want. But there's not very much discussion of step two. Yes. Yeah, I know there is still constant fighting in the future. People still have their own problems, et cetera, et cetera. And the ideas will still be there in the future and that somehow get over ourselves is nice. It doesn't change that there's not a clear-cut explanation of how to get there. Anyway, that was my only takeaway from this episode, but it was the easiest to articulate. Thanks for a thought-provoking morning, and y'all take care. Podcasting's Michael Bailey. Uh, always glad to provoke thought. Now, I know we're definitely going to come back to this because we have a later feedback that talks about this in, in some detail. Mm -hmm. I do feel we, we, we were kind of glib. A little, a, a, a little dismissive to Mr. Roddenberry. And I do, I do want to break that out and be like, well, I, I will take that on the chin for us. 
I don't know for you, but for me, like I've definitely gotten a lot more cynical mm-hmm. over 2020. And I think that yeah. right, right around episode 40, 41 is when that was really peaking for me. <laughs> you know, I want to take, I want to take a page out of Ms. Nordeman's book. Mm, believe and, the best. And try and pull back on those tendencies <laughs> that I, I really did at some points just really skid into pretty hard. So we'll be, we'll be back to talk more about Star Trek yes. later, <laughs> for sure. I, I will say the, the summary there of underpants notes. I stand I by still that think one. that's on I point. stand by that one with Michael. Do you have to explain step two? Not always, but there also is not a step two. <laughs> Our friend Tim Price, the pod crasher, said that since he's terrible at keeping up with new comics and Kickstarters, this was the first he'd heard of this adaptation of the Book of Ruth. And that's a shame because it legit sounds amazing. My only problem, I can't find it on digital yet. And that fits my life better at this time. When it reaches digital, I will get it. Thanks for sharing this book, M and Prof. I got to say, I've used your comments about sociology in recent conversations with my wife, attributing the source. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Your perspectives are a great new direction to my own thinking. So, you know, cut it out. Me no like think. (laughs) Seriously. Thank you for another great episode. Stay safe and may the force be with you. And also with you, Tim. (laughs) Buckle in. Because this next letter comes from our dear friend, Vera Nathaniel, the Council of Geeks. This one is going to be long. It's going to be good. And we are going to have a discussion. (laughs) Dearest Middletons, always wonderful to see new episodes of Darkness to Light pop up. And as I tend to do, I'm starting this feedback before finishing listening because I fear losing some of my initial thoughts if I go through the whole thing in one go. It probably won't come as a surprise that I am not familiar with the Book of Ruth, (laughs) neither the biblical story nor this graphic novel. So I don't know if what I'm about to go off about is actually reflected in the story itself, but there was a specific phrase that M read from the marketing blurb, a phrase that had I picked up this volume in a bookstore, I would have immediately put it back and walked away. All you really need to have is faith. No. Again, this may not be reflected in the work itself, maybe just a bit of marketing to try and catch the eye of its intended audience. But no, there is no single thing in life that is all you need. And the sentiment infuriates me so much because even though I know most people don't mean it literally, it's an idea that seeps into the back of people's minds and can lead to some of the most frustrated sentiments I see spouted by certain elements of the faithful. I don't need to change myself. I'll just keep the faith. I don't need to worry about the environment. I just need to keep my faith. I don't have to do anything about social atrocities brought about by politicians and political systems that my vote helped put in power as long as I have my faith. No. I really hope I don't come across as somebody chucking stones because I've said before I don't practice any formalized faith and never have. But I've seen it bolster and empower people who matter to me to help them in more ways than I could possibly even realize but it cannot serve as a Mm cure-all and be treated like the only thing you need. And I understand that it's a sentiment or something close to it is somewhat prominent in the Old Testament and probably couldn't have been avoided, but it rubs the wrong way so hard that I really won't accept justifications for its unexamined use. And let me be clear, I don't reserve this harsh reaction to just faith. 
I've reached a point where I honestly believe there are fewer destructive romantic cliches than all you need is love. Yes. <laughs> yes. Me, me and Vera are on this same wavelength. All due respect to the Beatles, and I give them very little. That's me, not Vera. I'm not putting words in your mouth. That sentiment is dangerous. Speaking as someone who has stayed in relationships longer than was healthy, just because the love was still there, bleep off. Love isn't all you need. You need honesty, trust, communication, empathy, so much more. Love has to be there, but it can't prop up something that's missing all the other important pieces. Yet our culture hammers home this idea of, but at the end of the day, it's all okay, just because we love each other. I'm actually just going to put a pause right there so that we can talk about this half of mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. discussion before we move on to mm-hmm. the rest. I want, I want all of our listeners and you, Dad, to know I almost did not read that sentence off the blurb. I almost left it off because I also <laughs> yeah. really hate that sentiment. I just, I can't, it cannot stand it. It certainly gets misused to say the least uh, often. I'm so glad that they went into all of this stuff about romantic love Mm -hmm. because those two things in American like pop culture and, and general worldview, those two things are so parallel and they're so similar. And I hate them both so much. I legitimately believe that one of the worst things that ever happened to American spiritual practice and like modern American Protestantism was all you need is faith. Yeah. I I legitimately think that it's the worst platitude that ever got bundled up as like proper theological. I would say that there's a context in which that's helpful advice, but it's pretty narrow. And it, and it is used in contexts, in situations and circumstances that need a much more in-depth bit of wisdom and counsel and encouragement. It goes back to what I was saying during the, the Twitter sections, the idea that self-examination in some way isn't important so long as you're holding on to a vague mm, concept right. of faith, even right. if you don't know what it means. I mean, you so can, irksome. and especially because it just, it doesn't really have any sort of grounding in theology. It, it really is more grounded in this, this whole concept of one true romantic love, like coupling yes. situations, which happy Valentine's day, everyone. That's actually when we're recording today. That just, that whole, that whole concept of soulmate, of soulmate in, in mm-hmm. that, yeah. in that sort of manner that like, I am weak for some some soulmate mm-hmm. stories but it has to be a, a concept of soulmates where the people are still individuals mm-hmm. a soulmate does not have to mean romantic mm-hmm. there's just there's just so much stuff that's all wrapped up together in this concept of finding wholeness in another person mm-hmm. and if that another other person isn't a physical person in your sphere that you have a romantic relationship with it should be jesus that's irksome Mm -hmm. that's irksome i think possibly the all you need is love in a relationship is okay if you define love 
as including gentleness, kindness, grace, compassion, understanding. Mm-hmm. All I mean, if, if respect, it, personal growth. Yes, if if you're willing to take a expansive view beyond the emotions and the feelings to the depth of commitment, the commitment to change yourself, including self-sacrificing for the betterment of the other person. If you're including all of that, you're getting closer, I think. As a parallel concept, that's the sort of thing where like all you need is faith can work. If when you say faith, you mean something that's a lot more expansive. And you you can have all the love you want for the wrong person, thing, entity. You can have all mm-hmm. the faith in the wrong idea, group, person. Those are not going to help you and rescue you. We'll go back to Vera to wrap up for us. Faith, love, independence, whatever it is, is a wonderful part of your life. Mm-hmm. But the sentiment of investing, it's all that you need shouldn't prioritize just one thing. It will only set you up to let other things slip away. It is wrong. It is damaging. And there are a few things that set me off quite like hearing it. So that wraps up a massive rant on the first five minutes of the episode. Vera (laughs) says, perhaps that's excessive even for me. (laughs) As for the rest of the episode, they write and go figure. I don't have nearly as much to say about the bulk of the episode. (laughs) Though I feel the professor may have been overly harsh to call Star Trek's possible unrealistic optimism a fatal flaw. If you want to say that's why it doesn't work for you, I get that. But is it a genuine flaw if it's what most fans like about it in the first place? That's not a bug, that's a feature. We do occasionally get kind of elitist about our Babylon 5 love. And that's really not fair to Star Trek because they really are entirely different genres. The only reason we're bitter is that Deep Space Nine happened Mm -hmm. and Bab 5 did not get quite as much viewership or funding as it should have due to network politicking reasons. And that is a legitimately kind of petty reason. I will fully take that on the chin. I think those comments are fair as entertainment, but I will stick to my guns vis-a-vis the reality of the Star Trek future in the real world. I will. I, I, the things that set Vera off, like all you need is, I am similarly set off by utopias and the idea that we can reach that and achieve that. So the Gene Roddenberry original concept of Star Trek hits that. And since we've already hammered on the Beatles, I'll pick out one of them in particular. I hate the song Imagine for the exact same reason. (sighs) Not just unrealistic. I think utopias can actually be harmful. If I'll stop there. Utopia is a wonderful concept, but I don't know how much this is just you and me and our personal sort of cynicism and how much of this I think is a like a legitimate reflection of science fiction and fantasy. Mm. But I do think it is really telling that the peak of utopian 
science fiction writing was the 1940s through 60s, mm. which was quite a utopia for certain people. Mm, there is that. And that the following 50 years of science fiction has been almost entirely a critique of how utopias do not function in the manner that people assume that they do, that almost everything since then has either been a criticism of or deconstruction of a utopia or a straight up dystopia. Mm -hmm. And I do think that those are different things. The value of a dystopia is very much in resisting Mm -hmm. the dystopia. There's a strange sort of literary push that in the wake of so much utopian science fiction that the push against it was all, but if you dig under that utopia, there is still going to be something rotten in Denmark. Mm-hmm. Again, not to be completely pessimistic at all times, but like, I do think that it is important to always be striving to be better, but that's why non-utopian stories actually work for me better because there isn't as much of an end goal. Mm. I will say this, especially Star Trek, the original series, I love as the utopia that it is and that it presents. I think that that's very beautiful and valuable. But so much of Star Trek since then, because it was all 90s and post 90s, even the utopian elements of Star Trek are not very utopian. And I think that a lot of that really does have to do with the politics of the 70s and the 80s and people sort of looking back and being like, you know, it was really easy for people like Robert A. Heinlein or Isaac Asimov or, you know, the the pulp Doc Savage writers right. of the 40s and 50s, all of these straight white men to say, mm-hmm. utopia is entirely possible. Whereas now that people are trying to actually be more genuine and say, if it's going to be a utopia, it has to be a utopia for everyone. That's a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. I will push back at one thing that you said about us, or at least about me. Mm -hmm. And I guess the COVID era aside, uh, perhaps, there is a line between cynical and skeptical. And I try to stay on the skeptical side of that and not drift into the cynical side. So I, I will make that distinction. Now to M's point about, you can't build a societal plan around if people, but you have to start with because people. That I can work with. Mm -hmm. I have a very long list of unkind things to say about capitalism. Hey, you know, you thought you were gonna skirt away. You thought you were gonna get away from this dad. (laughs) But Vera had my back. Shots fired. Any system that says, well, leave it alone and it'll sort itself out Mm -hmm. is inherently uncaring and likely actively cruel. Same reason I actively monitor the comment section for both the Vera Wild and Council of Geeks. Surprise plug. Bam. You knew it was gonna happen sooner or later because I know that leaving it alone will only result in the worst version of itself. (laughs) Life is a garden. You gotta weed. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing I think that has come out of COVID is people sort of realizing, huh, if I just sort of give in to my baser instincts, I won't go outside and I mm-hmm, won't mm-hmm. reach out to my friends and I won't drink enough water. Sometimes you need to wake up yeah, and true. make yourself drink 
32 ounces of water and sit in the sunlight like you're some sort of sad wilted plant. <laughs> and then Vera moves to your discussion of video games. Yes. M can rest assured that I have indeed played Flower. I too got Journey on disc because I am still a physical media person. So I knew where they were going with the evolution of flow to flower to journey. Now I played journey first and that one hit me much harder. Flower, I actually did as an unwinding game for about a week coming home from work and playing one section a day to de-stress. It did wonders. And I'm going to nudge as firmly as I can that you do make that leap into Bastion. It's a great game and I'd be excited to hear your thoughts on it. The narration in that game is just, we'll just go play it, okay? Okay, Vera, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Once I drag myself out of the Dragon Age pit, which in all honesty- It would take a while. Might not be until 2022. I am, I am giving everyone a full, don't laugh at me. My roommate has been in the Dragon Age pit for four and a half years. Yeah. So we'll see. But I did on Black Friday, go onto Steam specifically because they were having a massive sale, of course. And I picked up Bastion for $2.99. I have it. It is ready to be downloaded. It is sitting in the downloads folder <laughs> of my Steam for the day when I have actually finished my complete Dragon Age playthrough. Vera signs off there saying, I'll wrap it up for now. Thank you again for the great content. Stay safe, both of you. With love, Vera, Nathaniel, she, they. P.S. I'll also toss out there that Dave has been sending me postcards as well. And it is always welcome. Yes. I feel like Dave McElvaney might be single-handedly supporting what's left of the United States Postal Service <laughs> at this point. Because he has to spend upwards of like 20 or $30 a month. In postage. Like, yes. there's no way he's not. And speaking of our official minister of postcards, Dave McElvaney, he wrote in and said, Greetings, Alan and M. I very much enjoyed this episode since I've always been fond of the Book of Ruth, the biblical version. And this graphic novel sounds like a well done adaptation. I will have to go on a quest to find a copy to read for myself. Thank you for that. The Book of Ruth was treated as virtually a living piece of recent history in my family as I was growing up. My great-grandmother was very much alive when I was a lad. She was born in the 1880s on a farm in Orange, Virginia. And incidentally to your music choices, the battle hymn of the Republic to her was the national anthem. Since there was not an official one until 1931. I was going to have it actually be the original, John Brown's mm -hmm. Body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I did not think enough people would have recognized it. Her family was dirt poor and moved to coal country to make a better life. My grandmother and her sons, my father and my uncles, lived through the Great Depression and the grueling systemic poverty was a frequent topic of discussion. The hardships of mining and of farming for my great-grandmother's family made both the Book of Ruth and the Grapes of Wrath feel like listening to my older relatives talk about their lives. Your discussion of the theology of atonement and redemption was fascinating to me. I imagine the average Catholic's view on this depends on the time and place of one's religious education. 
I think my parents probably lean more towards the wrath side, with some wondering about how love was even involved. My younger sisters and nieces and nephews and grandnieces and grandnephews are more likely in the love camp. For me and my older siblings with our religious education mainly occurring during the days of the baby boom with crowded classrooms led by overstressed nuns and the transition to the Second Vatican Council, we're probably a confused jumble of viewpoints depending on our mood on any given day. Fortunately though, we have the Catholic escape valve, TM. It's a mystery with a capital M. Okay, I love this. <laughs> I love this. Because we've talked about this at some length about mm -hmm. how important it's a mystery is. Yes. And it has, a, again, a valid and important place. I do love Dave's. Yes, but in the 60s. <laughs> he says whenever our kids' brains would freeze up on questions like the problem of evil, the nature of the Trinity, some exasperated nun would say, it's a mystery. That means it's something beyond human understanding. God doesn't expect you to understand it, this side of paradise. You just have to take it on faith until then. And then, <laughs> and then Nathaniel hears the Kill Bill sirens. <laughs> I don't know if that idea is taught much these days in Catholic schools, but it feels more like a security blanket than genuine help. So I try not to rely on it too much. Even so, I'm old enough to realize there are things that are beyond my understanding, but I'm young enough to keep exploring. And I think it's probably being raised in the Protestant wing of the family tree that the mystery concept is something I find comforting, actually. And to me, it comes back to if I could understand God fully this side of the veil, wouldn't necessarily be much of a God. And again, I, I think the focus, at least on ev evangelicalism sometimes, is to no, 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 study, 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 Bible, Bible, Bible. There are answers, answers, answers. That a little mystery is probably a good thing. Again, so I think it's interesting the, the side that you're coming from on that. Dave was probably dunked in mystery and has had enough of it, as opposed to some of us who haven't had any of it and would like just a little, just a little. The Buddhists were really on it vis-a-vis -vis this whole like mm. yin yang you need both and you need a little of each in each other mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which whichever side that you come from if you're going to stay within protestantism you still need a little dot if you're going to be in catholicism mm -hmm. you need a little dot otherwise <laughs> in either way you just go off in the weeds yeah and dave says i should add that i th thought your suggestion professor that a current day telling of the book of ruth might well involve crushing student loan debt was especially apt. Finally, I must thank you for the kind words about me in your feedback section. That's very generous, and I'm humbled by that. Live long and prosper, Dave McIlvaney. And also with you. Wait. And also with you, Dave. <laughs> now, Clinton from Oklahoma, which is important, had this to say. I nearly argued with M's assertion that Oklahoma is home to many Old Testament names. But no, no. They were spot on with that. <laughs> I have literally only ever heard of one human being ever being named Ephraim. And he was from Oklahoma. Case closed. 
Mic dropped. <laughs> we also heard from Christopher Willette, who said, I am so excited about this book and even more now that I've heard your thoughts. And now with Giddy to realize I've been mentioned twice. <laughs> I know of Meredith Finch because she wrote the Cave Pictures publishing version of The Light Princess. I had read some of her run on Wonder Woman and picked it up because the art was awesome and it was George McDonald in my LCS. Yes, Christopher is a huge fan of George McDonald and really all of the Inklings. Just to bring it back around to the Grey Havens, just saying. Chris continues, and let me mention that Matt Phelan did an awesome graphic novel of Snow White, which was set in the Depression. Hmm, interesting. I might have to, since he mentioned the Light Princess, mm-hmm. we do definitely love fairy tales. True, true. Twisted and untwisted. Chris signs off anyway. Thank you for the great review and episode. You two are swell. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. We think you're swell too. Kyle Benning said it was a great episode. I really need to get my hands on that book of Ruth graphic novel. It sounds great. Thank you for the fantastic, thought-provoking discussion around wrath, love, and salvation. I needed to hear that today. Hope all is well your way. God bless you both. Thanks, Kyle. So that was the majority of our feedback since it was the most recent specific content-focused episode that we've released. But there are a few other bits to cover. From episode 41, when we presented yet another episode of Harry Whodunit, Barry Jointer expressed his excitement saying, yo, awesome lockdown episodes. Thanks for sharing. Which also prompted a response from Tim Price that said, dang, these episodes are delightful. Thank you so much for sharing them. And now I think we we have mentioned that we have acquired the entire Harry Whodunit opus, which is four episodes. So a couple more of those should be coming, maybe even in 2021, but we'll see. Podcasters never make promises. <laughs> we've, we've been burned enough. Let me rephrase that. Smart podcasters don't make promises. <laughs> Veteran podcasters who've learned their lesson don't make promises. Now, uh, last time we did another uh, Blue Christmas episode and we got some comments on that. Our friend Karen from the Sweet baking-themed Between the Pages blog commented that waiting until the end of 2020 to mention the Mountain Goats this year is just cruel. Talk about 2020's theme song. That's the truth. And Ruth and Darren Sutherland said they really enjoyed the episode. Thanks for sharing your reflections on the years and your holiday memories. Mm. Robert Ludwig, our good friend, referring just to the repeat of the title, Blue Christmas, just said this. It definitely is. Mm -hmm. And Dave McIlvaney commented on this episode as well. It was good to hear your voices again. I listened to this after Mass this morning, so it was kind of a continuation of services. This has certainly been an unsettled Mm. and unsettling year. But even though this time of making your way through things the best way you can, there are still moments of joy to be found in the darkness. In the early fall, our youngest niece and her husband announced they were expecting their first child in the spring. This will be the 10th 
of our grandnieces and grandnephews, mm. and we were honored and thrilled that we were among the first people to hear the good news. Of course, this only reinforced our efforts to stay on top of our game about avoiding COVID. Yes. So we've been even more vigilant about mask wearing, hand washing, social distancing, etc. That has made holidays a bit smaller, with just us at home, calling and Zooming with our family and friends to stay in touch and connected, but limiting our direct contact. Yes. It's also in a way made Christmas especially more intimate and more focused on the religious significance, which hasn't been a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I hope you and your family and roommates are family too, even in the face of these difficult times have found moments of joy and will, as far as possible, have a better year next year. Actually, this is my wish for everyone. Oh, thank you, Dave. What a good egg. Mark Baker Wright says he always enjoys hearing us on the show. And our friend Dr. Ange said it was a great episode. This has been a crazy year for me personally. I have That's said, the truth. Yes. He said, I've said it's the best of times, it's the worst of times, many, many times. <sighs> Hang in there. We'll all get through this. You know, if anyone has had like the year where everything happens oh, the man. most all the time, it's probably got to be Ange. You know, and if like, our personal online physician says it's going to be okay, I, th I think we can trust that. And lastly, Tim Price called it a delightful episode. Definitely sympathize with the stress and uncertainty of this past year. My wife has it harder as her mom's been gone three years and lost her dad just before the lockdowns. Mm. So it's definitely a blue Christmas for us. But in many other ways, we've been so lucky. Blessings for our new year. We just had Lunar New Year. Like we've had double New Year's. We're officially out of 2020. I am I'm ready. Let's do this. Blessings ready for to everyone. The, ready to put Blue Christmas behind me. I am done. We can be Oprah. You get blessings. You get blessings. You get blessings. Everyone I, gets blessings. Please make it so. Make it so. Make it so. <laughs> wow. That was a lot of awesome feedback from lots of awesome feedbackers who we understand represent a small portion of the awesome listeners of the show. And all we, of you guys we are absolutely terrific. We appreciate all y'all. And we know that this show occupies a very small niche of a very small niche. And we value each and every one of you. And wherever you come from within the big tent of the Christian world, or if you identify as being outside of that world, or if you just don't know what you are or where you belong, you can come here. All are welcome. And until next time, to all of our listeners, may the force be with you. And also with you. While you're waiting for the next podcast episode, check out our websites. DorknessToLight.blogspot.com contains reviews, essays, and other similar ramblings. And DorknessToLight.tumblr.com, which contains some of that material, as well as top tens, cool photographs, memes, and religious puns. We also run a general interest comic book podcast network, Relatively Geeky. 
That content can be found at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or by searching iTunes for Relatively Geeky. Let us know what you think of this topic, this episode, or this podcast in general. Feel free to send your thoughts to us at dorknesstolight at gmail.com. We would also appreciate any ratings or reviews left for the podcast in the iTunes store to help like-minded people find us. Our intro, outro, and promo music is all provided by Anderson Kale. Search for them online to listen to or purchase their music. Additional music in this episode was by the Grey Havens and the Oh Hellos. Thanks for listening. Okay, that's that's not actually true. I might actually go back and replay Horizon Zero Dawn yes. specifically so that I can take notes and video and get audio clips because <laughs> that is probably tied with Inquisition for the most religious and spiritual content. And in that case, it's a lot subtler. Interesting. Yeah, it's so funny. Like I keep getting recommended stuff onto the playlist and I keep having to be like no this is not a worship music playlist (laughs) this is a fantasy found family playlist I know that there's a high overlap there but it's it's not about the subject matter it's about the yearning the feels it's about the yearning Mm -hmm. it's about Mm -hmm. the desire to be like known and understood by another person that's the vibe that all these songs have and then Spotify is like yearning for Jesus not necessarily. I just want songs where people yearn. Have we got plenty for you? Yeah, they do. I'm pretty sure it's not. But the, the new one that's getting recommended all the time is Bird Talker, which I am 90% sure is not a Christian folk band. Mm-hmm. But I can't be positive at this point. I literally told my therapist because I kept my DA rambling to like a five-minute yeah. section. But I literally told him because at one point he was like, you seem a lot lighter. Mm, then mm-hmm. I've seen you in a while. And I was like, I'm glad because I definitely yeah. feel like mm-hmm. not better per se, right. but but lighter is a good word for it. And then I thought to myself, is it because I've listened to Heavy by Bird Talker like literally 15 times a day for like three weeks? I was like, honestly, probably because it means that whenever I'm not thinking about anything else, the inside of my brain is just going, Leave what's heavy, what's heavy behind.